to another episode of the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm here today with Nick. Hello. With Claire. Hi. And for the first time ever on a discussion episode um, with Emily Trotter. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to this side of the podcast, Emily. Was We've had you on before, haven't you? And we did an interview a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So if you... <laughs> so if you want to hear a little bit more about what um, Emily does and about her work in schools, then uh, go back and give that uh, episode a listen. It's episode 16. So you can go and hear all of our conversation back there. Uh, so before we dive into today's topic, I just wanted to briefly mention the listener group on Facebook. If you listen to these podcasts and you think, oh, I wish I could uh, ask them about this or I wish I could, uh, I wish they had thought of this or I uh, completely disagree with them on that. Um, please get in contact with us. We'd, we'd love to hear those thoughts and opinions and we'd love to have that conversation with you. And one of the best ways we can do that is through the listener group on Facebook. To find that, if you search SSOM listener group, uh, you should find us there and we'd love to carry on the conversation in that space. So on to today's episode, we are talking about the topic of language and communication. And to kick us off, we are going to be asking, what if we could speak any language... Uh, that we don't already speak, which would it be? So, seeing some puzzled faces already. Which which language would you pick? Does anyone speak another language just out of interest, other than English slash Yorkshire? No, only English and Yorkshire for me. Yeah. What else do you need, really? I think that's Just English we... for me. <laughs> At least you can understand Yorkshire, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a working grasp of it, but um, I wouldn't say I'm fluent. <laughs> near enough <laughs> I think I'd speak Danish uh, I have a few Danish friends so I think that would be my language choice although it's strange because obviously there's not too many Danish speakers in the world it just seems that yeah. my, the friends that I do have internationally are mostly Danish so right. that would be my choice my sister speaks Norwegian and that's quite similar to Danish but whenever I she like the Danish language gets mentioned she always calls it a trash language for trash people <laughs> and I was like whoa I think there's some sort of Scandinavian rivalry that goes on over there but it was very strong <laughs> I think reaction. yeah the Danes hit the Swedes the Norwegians hit the Danes and I think the Swedes just aren't bothered by anyone so. okay yeah <laughs> seems quite political yeah I think my, uh, it's between two for me, but I would say um, I'd love to be able to speak Thai and that's because my sister-in-law is from Thailand and a few years ago she moved over, learned English and she's, you know, and she's done amazingly, like her English is really fluent now, um, but I always imagined myself orchestrating a viral moment where I've secretly learned to speak Thai and then I suddenly just like launch into you know those that know me know I'm always looking for a viral moment I've never had any yet but I always imagined that um to be able to learn Thai and then speak fluently to my sister-in-law and then by extension to my nephew who is um three and my niece who's who's just turned one and a half that would be really cool um so yeah, Thai or Portuguese because my dad is fluent in Portuguese and I'd like to know what he's saying when we go on holiday. <laughs> I think I would go for Japanese because technically I did know a little bit of Japanese. I went to after school club for years and years and years. Literally like every week I was there. I know one word now. Neko means cat. So I feel if I could actually be fluent in Japanese, all those wasted hours make up yeah. their own. 
<laughs> Those are good answers. Yeah. Uh, I think if I had to pick, I'd probably go really geeky and pick like a, a scripting language, like um, HTML or JavaScript or um, C++, something like that. So I could program and be like a proper geek. Because I feel like I'm an under geek at the moment. Like I'm not quite at that level, but um, yeah, I'd like I'm aspiring to be an uber geek, so that would help. Some people might beg to differ on that, Ed. It depends, <laughs> yeah, it depends which company you're in, really. I think my wife would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into our first question, and that is over to Emily Trotter. Okay, so our first question is, how can we make sure that the church does not risk exclusion through the language we use? Big wow. question, big question to begin with. Yeah, when we, when we started kind of brainstorming questions, a lot of the ones that we kind of came up with and um, spoke about were around this inclusion and exclusion. And it's, it's quite it's such a tricky thing isn't it because there's so much language that we just use naturally especially if you've grown up in the church and that could be a real barrier i think outside of that like i immediately went a different direction and then then picked up where where you went as well Ed, on just the language around uh well generally inclusive language it's become more and more apparent in society that certain words certain phrases certain things aren't acceptable or becoming unacceptable so i think like taking that into consideration as well uh, and that mm. plays out in in loads of different ways even like controversially like referring to god as a father for example like that can be exclusive that could be difficult for some people so yeah that's i suppose we're delving in dipping into theology a little bit there as well but mm. that, yeah there's a lot to consider in that question I think as well as I'm like look, as I'm thinking about the question the question about how can we even make sure that the church doesn't risk exclusion if we're thinking about uh the point of like people and congregations being in in church I would say we need to even go before the point of people even attending a church or becoming a part of the church actually in through conversations are we excluding through language I'm thinking about you know for me obviously I work in a school with young people many of whom have never um heard any of the key Christian stories any of the key Christian teaching and we're now just in this we have this generation who are not only unchurched but many of whom don't necessarily even believe that Jesus was a person that walked the earth and so we're almost at this point of having to completely start again before they've even made it into a pew or before they've even made it into a building never mind whether the church excludes your language how are we even inviting the next generation to think about these concepts that yeah in churches we've just inherited so much language haven't we if we've if we've been brought up in churches and that some of it just doesn't i mean it, it makes sense if you've done if you've lived it for a long time but like some terminology is just completely alien it's things like like washed in the blood and things like that it just it's i mean it's terrifying to some people i remember reading in a book actually uh, i think it's a book you've read as well that said that um it, a pastor was explaining about you know being, being washed in the blood of the lamb and and one of his congregation who was new to church was just like horrified because think taking it literally 
Like it's it's not a very pleasant thought, is it? But I guess that's it's just become you know standard fare for yeah. for those that have grown up in church. Yeah. I think it's interesting because particularly within the Salvation Army, there's some of the language that we use. Thinking of that on the Salvation Army crest and how on it it says blood and fire. And I remember we had um, some five-year-olds coming to learn about the Salvation Army. And you kind of feel ashamed about talking about that because how to explain that within the context of what it actually means, that militaristic language that isn't even an easy concept to explain away to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember watching Game of Thrones and one of the houses, like all the different houses in that program have their own slogan and there's this targaryen house and their their slogan is fire and blood and i, I just always thought used to think that was really really funny because to us that was a really i guess um it's imagery that reminds us of jesus it's very empowering imagery imagery if you understand where it's coming from but these show creators have just thought oh yeah that's a really vicious and um aggressive uh language that we can use and yeah, it's, it seems odd that we use that. It just w- meaning something completely different. But whether it means that to the, to people that see it without getting all of that backstory, is it's a different conversation. Isn't it? Yeah, I think in in lessons that I've done in schools about the Salvation Army, one of the things that we often kind of teach, I'm sure it's the same for other people doing Salvation Army sort of in education, is deconstructing like what does the blood and fire mean and where did it originate from and all these things which is great and and actually students would grasp that but you're not actually getting necessarily then to grips with the most important aspect of the gospel because you're explaining the extra things that come with um our denomination and so sometimes you feel like that that's a, a bit of a can be a bit of a barrier having to explain to them um, all the trimmings that come with what you really want to get to, which is the juicy bit of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. So, yeah. Do you think it's realistic to to start that cha- that process of change, or do you think it will be around that these kind of jargon will be around forever within church circles? It's an open question, I guess. It's interesting, like. I think even in the Salvation Army, we can see how those rich metaphors and rich bits of imagery we have are being used differently. So the outward symbols that we use now is the red shield, mostly when it comes to charity work or on the side of buildings. You don't see as many crests out there, actually. And um, even like Salvation Army um, soldiers or officers, the new shirts they're buying have the shield on it. They don't necessarily have a crest or they don't have um some of that imagery as as in the front so i i wonder whether it's not so much the people are saying we don't we're getting rid of it completely but actually there's there's an understanding of there's a time and place for this imagery and what is really powerful and good for one group of people could be really um exclusive or could be really uh, upsetting for another do you think that's just a branding exercise though with logos I mean, it's thinking cynically, that's what it strikes over me. Is that's immediately recognisable because it says the Salvation Army on it rather than blood and fire. So, I yes and no. I think yeah, I agree that there is. There's always going to be that level of is this just marketing um, to it? But I think there is so much power to the language and the symbols we use. And actually, the language and symbols we use eventually inform the culture and inform what what it is. And if you keep referring to something as 
as X, it will eventually look like X. If you refer to it as Y, it will eventually look like Y. So there is um, that it really is something we need to consider, I guess, when we talk about whatever we are, whatever the church is. Um, yeah, definitely. I think like as we we're saying earlier, outside of like the jargon and stuff, it's a it's a really difficult. I find it really hard to try and think along with particularly with new ideas everyone's very influenced by the culture and how they what they've grown up within and and yeah all the, all the ideas that we inherit or that we kind of absorb through osmosis from being around certain cultures so then trying to change that thought process it, it's a very intentional thing it has to be a very intentional thing i, I guess the question would be are, are we as a church are we as individuals willing to do it which is because there's i mean the, the, you see a lot of like particularly politically a lot of well why should we have to do this why should we have to do that um just so that other people feel fine and for me the answer is that is what does it cost you to change a different word but but i think that's that can play a part in in thought processes and decision making corporately when that's that that becomes an element of it so yeah are we willing to do it or are we are we wanting to put the hard yards in to intentionally move things i guess it is moving things forward i don't think it's it's progression isn't it i think as well like to to be more like to address the the question more specifically how how can we make sure that the church does not risk exclusion i think it starts with us becoming much more aware much more self-aware in church um and much more asking ourselves the question if i didn't have this inherited knowledge of uh, a church service for example would I know what was going on? Like looking at the songs, looking at the hymns we sing and think if I have to read this sentence, which sometimes I do, you know, in our own church services, if I have to read this lyric over and over to actually understand the theology behind it, how is somebody that maybe actually isn't um, particularly literate as well, um, or maybe, you know, uh, just all kinds of um, different people from different spheres of life, actually, how would they be viewing this if they were, if it was the first time that they were viewing it? And I think trying to con construct something that is um, accessible at the first point of engagement would be the thing that we need to be thinking of. Um, and to act as if, you know, to, to speak and to teach as though the people within our congregations might not necessarily grasp everything as well. I think that sometimes teachers and preachers preach to that assumed knowledge and that assumed understanding. Well, I don't know how old I was when I first really had an understanding of what the word grace meant, for example. And so then when you're in that circle, you get to the point, don't you, where you think, I don't really want to ask and admit that I don't have a full understanding of the word grace because I've just heard it so many times that I feel like I should have this inherited knowledge. But if we're speaking about it to somebody that we think this is their first point of engagement, would we therefore be reaching people more easily? I don't know. I'm just thinking about obviously in terms of scripture and the Bible and how the inclusive or exclusive language is within that because when I'm preparing something now, I look on Bible Gateway and there's so many different translations, so many paraphrases, which essentially over the time, 
were to include people so that more people could understand what is going on. And obviously there's a whole debate about the authenticity of that and the truth within that. But I know I often have a verse and I kind of select which one I, I think at, for that occasion suits what I'm intending the message to get across. And obviously some verses are essentially the same, but some there's significant differences the message you can pick up from those different translations. And so I guess if within the if within scripture and within the Bible we see those differences and that desire to be inclusive, then that is kind of our guiding point in moving forward within the church's language. Yeah, absolutely. We we see it in the life of Jesus as well and in how he communicated with people. Like he didn't just use like old well he did reference the uh, the old testament or the, the hebrew scriptures uh, but he did use stories and use parables that link to what they, they knew he talked about farming he talked about agriculture he talked about the culture that they had and it was all references they they would have understood and would have had deep meaning to those people and um that he wasn't he didn't need them to go off and do any additional learning to understand him no. at that point um, obviously, it's it wasn't it started a journey for those people, and that wasn't the be all and end all of that their discipleship, just that one moment. But um, he communicated with them where they were, um, and yeah, I I totally agree with you, Claire and Emily. That that is that is what the church needs to be doing. There's a lovely other biblical example as well, which I was just reading the other day, which is Philip, and when he gets into the chariot with the the Ethiopian man, who's um, actually reading the scriptures of Isaiah and Philip says to him do you understand what you're reading and he says no how how can I understand unless unless somebody guides me and then Philip you know gets in the chariot with him and journeys with him and they look at the scriptures together and I think you know if that happened in biblical times and he then didn't understand the writings of Isaiah then how now are we expecting like younger people or just people um, around us to understand Old Testament writings without deeper exploration and journeying it and asking the questions um, together. And so we have to discard that idea, don't we, of Christians holding the monopoly on understanding the Bible fully. <laughs> um, and actually this just this idea of being like, um, actually, can you help me with this? Because how am I to understand it unless I have someone to guide me? Yeah, my understanding of Christianity has always been that it's been an inclusive it's not it, it particularly re recently fairly recently for me of christianity has just been about all you need to do is is believe that's that's is the crux of it essentially and that's i mean that's open for debate and that's changing my, my own personal thinking is changing a lot at the moment but the the crux of it is it's not about i mean you look at the old testament and following all these meticulous rules and things it's not about that it's just about that relationship mm -hmm. so uh, so and, and when you look at how jesus communicates as you said it's all it's it's relevant to the time and it's included it's for everyone it's for men it's for women it's for children it's for everyone so surely that's the model that we that we go for is you know as jesus was with this church Christianity, Christ, religion, Jesus, however you want to term it, is for, for everyone. It's, it's like after what you've said, Nick, and thinking about how sometimes in the way we speak, we talk, have that kind of us and them mentality, and how sometimes the way we speak, we speak about us as being church people or Christians, and then everyone else out there. 
and that division we put up straight there in terms of there's us and them and we've got it sorted and other people haven't whilst actually it's about being on that journey together and as we see the people in the in the new testament that jesus encountered with there are those examples of where people in that moment turned and worshipped God and followed Jesus. But actually, a lot of it is that exploration and that journey of people going on and discovering for themselves what it is to have that relationship with God. That it raises the bar for discipleship hugely, doesn't it? Um, I guess when you when you think about making sure that language is accessible, because I remember so many times when I was younger that the, the easy answer for a, like youth ministry was, I'll just read your Bible more. Or just go and do this more. And actually, like, even now, like I was about to say, as a young person, if I sat down and opened Isaiah, um, I would struggle to understand it just off the bat. Even, yeah, even now, I, I would open passages of Isaiah, have no idea what it actually means until I go and read what someone else has to say about it. But we, we can't expect everyone to go and read two or three books to understand each passage in the Bible. So, it yeah, it... it raises that bar for us if we want to communicate the gospel communicate what scriptures say to people Mm. um that becomes quite a difficult challenge yeah i think and the bible is arguably the greatest and most complex piece of literature of all time and so for people that aren't interested in literature haven't studied it you know um it's an enormous challenge isn't it then to to try and like delve into it it's different complexities context all those different things um for that reason it's also the best book of all time but even as somebody that you know I studied English literature and did it at uni and loved it it's still really dense at times so Mm. yeah yeah I guess we could spend another half an hour talking about how we approach the bible and how we get into reading that and how we interpret the Bible, and maybe that would be a really good episode at some point, but uh, I don't think we've got time to get into that world right now. Let's, uh, shall we move on to question two? Is that me? That's you, I think, That's Nick, me. yeah. Um, yeah, my question is that the society, the, the, sorry, the language that we use as a society has obviously evolved and changed um, over the past hundred years. Um, have have we as a church evolved with it or have we stayed in a certain place i think in some in some respects we have evolved i think that in there are there are various different local expressions denominational expressions of church that have actively tried to make sure that they are culturally relevant and therefore we've seen a shift in worship song lyrics in all that kind of stuff in the way that um yeah i think it worship worship lyrics have have changed from you know a traditional hymnal type setting um to being more popular culture and i think so i think there has definitely been a change and an evolving quite how much that relates to our specific denomination I'm not really sure because you know the Salvation Army is so diverse that in certain settings you would go in and be like the answer to that question would be no it has not evolved um but in in others um yes I sometimes wonder actually sometimes if we're trying to actually we're trying to be all things to all people aren't we we're trying to actually have hold services services or have environments where we're speaking to such a like a a range of um 
life experiences that it can be quite hard to to be just one thing and to do it well but I think I think there's an argument that definitely the church has has come some way in changing its language and evolving I think we do it and not not always for for good um sometimes I think we we do it language and evolves in a way that can be damaging or or um hurtful um, and I think what one one example which I use the term damaging and hurtful and I probably do mean it actually for this but um and it's it's the way we refer to I it was a great quote and I can't remember who said it so uh, forgive me but this wasn't me um and it someone said uh, the worst mistake we ever the church ever made was to call its buildings churches and I think that's a really interesting thing about the language we use there to refer to our buildings, because suddenly when we like the phrase becomes I'm going to church mm. or rather than I belong to a church or we are church. And it and the primary understanding of the word church is the building that we go to. And therefore, the church building becomes the center of Christian life, doesn't it? And that Sunday service becomes raised up above everything else so uh, that that's another example i mentioned earlier about language informing culture and because we've we've changed our language or our language has evolved to refer to a building as church which like we capitalize and not capitalize but i don't think that does too much when we are just talking um and yeah i think that that's not always helpful as well and i in the coronavirus pandemic um it's been really interesting because suddenly everyone is talking about how the church is not a building mm. and um personally i'd love to see that when we go back to churches we start saying oh we're going back to the the, the i don't know what word for the building we've got but i'd love us to have a bit more helpful terminology oh savage nami's got the core building there haven't we so that's another interesting use of language there gathering we talk about core awesome. gathering place yeah. yeah um because we are a church as a people um I love that scene in Thor Ragnarok. I'll get him geeky again, where he says, where Asgard gets blown up and they say, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And that makes me think about the church. But yeah, if you if you like Marvel films, I'm not getting much luck from this group here. <laughs> <laughs> but someone out there will get that reference and they'll enjoy it. I guess a, fo- a follow-up question would be, is there still a place for the language from the previous era now? Um, I know you mentioned... Um, the the uh, lyrics of worship music uh, emily and for me like some of the old hymns it's it's really poetic like really beautiful language yeah. um we, and that's really really powerful but I, I realize that's me and and that's not for everyone for some people it can be like this is just old just old talk mm-hmm. um so yeah is is there still a place for that I, I, if i'm speaking personally i'd say yes but uh, but corporately is there still how do you how do you strike that balance that's lots of questions but i'm sure he'll pick something up and i think it goes to that thing as well of like those beautiful like poetic lyrics of you know i'm thinking like the first thing that sprung to my mind is like when i survey the wondrous cross and they have these biblical amazing examples of like christ's love in the words which are amazing but then if we're at the point of trying to to um maybe we're introducing worship music to people that actually don't have any knowledge of the Bible. It's having to strip it back so that they're able to actually access this in a way that um, that it meets them where they're at. And, and I think 
it's really difficult because we're now in like we're in this kind of post-Christian era aren't we where people don't have biblical knowledge they don't they don't I mean I just did a session before lockdown happened in the chapel where I was talking about Jesus um his resurrection and this boy put his hand up and was like what are you saying miss he rose from the dead and I was just like taken aback because I was like this is just a stark reminder that this sounds outrageous to this boy that's never heard this before and it was like you know oh crikey how can somebody like that ever appreciate the poetic <laughs> lyrics of when I survey the wondrous cross and so yeah you're totally right that I agree in in that I love some of those wonderfully penned words and some of those you just think oh my goodness the, the theology in this is so deep and so rich but we're just at this really weird time historically where um, the Bible's not really well known to people. So it's such it's such a different era, isn't it, that we're living in? It's like we're going back to basics and having to re uh, have this opportunity really to teach the stories of Jesus without the extra stuff again. I think it's interesting thinking about like the songs and scripture, and when we come to worship together. People very rarely go out quoting the sermon, but they probably will go out singing some of the lyrics of the songs. And the truths that you find within those songs um, and what they mean actually probably resonate with us more than in terms of what, what scripture reading or what sermon is preached within that. I've been uh, really conscious in terms of over this last year as I put together like worship sheets so people read the song words rather than sing them. And I was speaking to someone the other day and they said doing that actually makes them take it in and reflect on it much more than singing it does. But then it also makes you, like, it's made me more conscious about some of the songs that I would sing because they're a nice tune, but you look at the words and you're like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Either there's a certain word that is totally, has a different meaning now, or the whole context doesn't make much sense. And in the past, I would have just kept it to sing a nice song, to be honest, whilst now I would definitely think possible including it i guess as well the question about like you know if we're thinking less about uh like sunday sunday services in the churches are building and all that kind of stuff is have are we as individuals like have have we evolved our language in our in this different spheres of our lives like how conscious actually are we when we're talking about jesus with people about the language that we use um because i know earlier on like nick referred to um you know there can be some contention for some people about referring to God as father and I've read about churches where they don't use gender specific pronouns because for the you know I'm, I'm thinking of I think the example I read was um a church of basically women that were recovering from um sexual abuse and and for many of them they couldn't really identify with the idea of god's character being male um and so they used non-gender specific pronouns and things like that i'm just thinking for me working with this ne this um next kind of generation z where actually um gender identity is um much more fluid and that's that's the reality and the culture that they're living i am very much conscious of the language that I use when referring to God and I don't think I, I mean not all the times so I think I have that inherited God the Father he this he that sort of thing built within me but definitely when I'm speaking um to students that um to to a lot of my students really using non-gender specific pronouns would be the way 
that I would go. And so I think I definitely in working with young people. I'm starting to change the way that I approach language when sharing faith. Mm-hmm. It's something I've been thinking about a bit, quite a lot recently about that, how I talk about God and, and even how I pray, because I know my the way I've been brought up and my inherited faith and inherited language is um, I would pray Father God and that's how I can I just pray and that's very natural for me so to start with anything but that I find it I find it a little bit jarring Um, but then that makes me think actually if I'm finding that jarring what about those people that may be hearing it maybe the what's natural to me is jarring to them and um, I guess with prayer, it's it's difficult because actually a lot of the time I'm just praying for myself and actually then maybe just using what what's comfortable and what um, what's natural works. But if you're like you say, if you're communicating with people that it's going to be difficult for, I think I would be more conscious of of, of the language. But I, I still got a long way to go to to actually actually like naturally fall into using what what works for people. I think there'd probably be like a quite a big kickback on that as well from um from some like areas of churches you know that that change in terminology or even just thinking slightly I think it's very easy to say well you know the church should be countercultural and chucking out all these kind of fairly vague standard responses to something that requires a little bit of um of, of thinking about um but if if we are professing to be for everyone then we should be for everyone and I also I also find that students and young people grasp the idea that God is way beyond gender more than maybe some church people do definitely third question Uh, can we be authentic when we use one set of words around one group of people and another around others so I think it's talking about in terms of whether we swear or in terms of the way we talk about people in different contexts what do you think it's a tough question this was like one of the the major things that growing up a good Christian boy (laughs) caused me sleepless nights as a teenager um because i like being at school you'd you'd get sucked into the language of the school wouldn't you and you'd be sucked into the language of your friendship group and i remember just thinking constantly that ah i'm living this double life i am one person there and one person there and i don't think i was I, i really don't think i was i think maybe i used different words maybe i communicated differently but um i think i put so much stock on that as a young person that it it caused me so much guilt and shame which actually for me now realizing was the bigger issue <laughs> at the time than actually the language itself I think that's so true I think I mean I can think definitely guilty of like you go to a summer camp and you hear a young person like say a swear word and then they immediately look round waiting to be like reprimanded for the fact that they've let let rip like a swear word and you're like huh mm-hmm. you know and you kind of feign this like shocked thing and I don't really know why we do that but I think that's definitely um teenagers especially are used to compartmentalizing their lives they wear masks in different spheres of their life anyway and then when they're given this uh, narrative from the church of like you shouldn't be saying certain things and doing certain things we are I think we are heaping shame in that and I would say my experience has been quite similar I don't think I was quite as well behaved growing up maybe as you read but um 
yeah I can definitely relate to what you're saying with that I think it's unnecessary as well like the this the shame element like piling that on it's just I mean if if you walk down the street particularly where where I live you walked into the town centre and stood still for five minutes and listened to people passing by you'd hear at least five swear words so it that's that's the the culture of society at the moment and and I think swearing has become less and less in inverted commas offensive and just become more and more part of emphasizing certain words you, you know they can go some places and hear an f word every other word and that's just how people communicate whereas you can go others and, and you'll hear it and you'll be shocked that it, it'll have a real impact or emphasis um so i mean i i play for a, a christian football team in a christian league and and i'm the captain so i have a responsibility for, for leadership of of the team and one of the chat the charters of the league is that is about swearing on the football pitch um or not swearing on the football pitch as i say it's not encouraging swearing it's the opposite um and that's tough because some of the teams that we uh, our team is is probably a mix a good mix now of of some guys who have grown up in church some guys have kind of come to church and some guys have just never even been anywhere near a church in their life so we've got a good mix within our team but some of the other teams are, are completely um yeah completely not church teams i guess you're just just a group of lads who play in a, in a christian league and maybe one or two have a connection to a church um so to hear an opposition player shouting and swearing and stuff all the time it is fairly commonplace but then i feel i mean i, I really love swearing i think it's really <laughs> i mean i think it's just good for Im- impact um more than anything um and i don't find it offensive and i wouldn't have any problem with any swear words i don't think even any hold particular power and i'm kind of unusual with that one um so and i've yeah probably grown up around brass banding and football where swearing is commonplace and it probably loses its its offense or, or power within that but i'm really conflicted because because i won't swear playing football i just i choose not to do it because i feel like i've got responsibility to the league to my teammates to to almost set an example but then I feel like that example what is that example because that's not me because I like swearing so so I'm massively conflicted by this question and uh, I feel like if I started effing and jeffing on a Saturday morning a lot of people have had a, a lot of things to say to me are, are they right sir I don't know I don't know I think it's really interesting because I think I'm a bit, a bit backwards but in terms of this because I wouldn't uh swear in front of school friends or non-christian friends because I think as a teenager growing up, I kind of wanted to, I was trying to be different and trying to show a different way. Well, I'm more comfortable, probably wrongly, swearing in front of Christian friends who also swear because then you think, well, if they're doing it, it's all right. Then. Even I know that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally not how it works. But that's kind of in terms of my language, in terms of how I do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I only ever swear when I'm around you, Claire. The rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're the here. I, I mean I think for me really what it really comes down to is the is the intention with which you're speaking and the alignment of your heart and I was so I was thinking about this question earlier and um 
and the the words I don't know if this is I think this this might be from a psalm but I'm not totally sure where it speaks of may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and it's just this idea for me that you know actually really God knows what is in our heart and out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and so for me in the past that that um that that proverb I think it is and I think it's also mentioned in one of the gospels of out out of the heart the mouth speaks um that's often used as like a corrective thing of like well you know if someone that that analogy of like if you were a glass of water and someone knocked into you what would come out and this idea of you know if you have wrongdoing in your heart then it'll it'll come out your mouth in terms of swear words and things I'm not I'm not totally down with that um to be honest, I think the important thing is that the Lord knows the intention with which we're speaking and um, sees, yeah, he sees the inclination of our heart with whether what we're saying and meaning is good. Um, so I don't think I'm quite as um, a wrong and as Nick when it comes to this. <laughs> I, I'm, the same, I'm the same as Claire in that I think when you're a role model, when you're in a position like in a school, when you're in professional situations of course you want to be um you want to be seen as as a role model and you you want your behavior to be a, a certain way but I think that around people that know me and, and love me if I was to swear they wouldn't see that as a mark of oh she's a Christian like how could she possibly be saying that because in also I'm I'm open with speaking to my friends about Jesus so if you were like swearing and compartmentalizing your faith in one group and then changing your behavior in a different I think that's different but actually yeah I think I'm I'm fairly like liberal on this but I mean growing up I have to say the first time I heard my dad swear was such a shocking moment I just felt like my world was falling apart because I'd never heard him swear before. Got up in the night to go to the loo, heard my dad swear. He was obviously working late at night. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know my dad knew that word. Um, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard a, a youth leader that I, I really respected swear. I was devastated. <laughs> I was like shocked. And now I just think back and go, wow, that that's... That's damage there. That's <laughs> that's a weird, weird worldview. But um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the intent that we have in our heart when we speak, because we, I think it can be very easy to divorce what we say from its effect on people and just be like, well, if they're offended by that, that's on them. But actually, we do have a responsibility to love people and to treat people well with our words and really consider how our words will affect people. And yeah, swear words... It used in the wrong way, used in an aggressive way or um, a an attacking way, will cause damage, and they will amplify um, what what could just be a I guess a, a less amplified exchange. But um, yeah, it's it's that it is that intent of are you are you speaking out of anger? Are you speaking out of a, a place of being really wound up with someone and you want to you want to hurt them, or are you you kind of laughing and joking and uh, yeah I think they're very different things I think that's why that's where I've arrived at because uh, like I say it, it seems conflicting to, that you you could be if you don't swear then somehow uh, like uh, uh, just why well, we somehow strive towards that I just I think it's 
it's more natural. I think you can be, you could call someone disgusting and it'd be more offensive than saying, I can't say that. You nearly got me. <laughs> then just, yeah, just joking around or saying, you know, calling someone a silly so-and-so, you know, or, you know, whatever, obviously insert swear word afterwards. I, I think that intent, I, I think, like, like I said, the, all those words hold power for me the word disgusting holds more power than than a lot of swear words when it's applied in a with the intent to to, to do damage so that's where i, I just kind of see language as language taboo really doesn't seem to exist as much as it as it used to do um within society i think you've seen you can see it within that like, tv programs and stuff what's allowed in a 15 and 18 is become more and more relaxed, more and more as time's gone on and gone on. Blasphemy is, I mean, it's not even even considered. And I guess that's a whole other kind of conversation um, is around the yeah, blasphemy rather than swear words. So uh, it, because that's evolved, uh, as you've as we've all said, really, the in, the intention is is where it lands for me. And you know, if 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 I'm wanting to cause offence to someone. I don't think swearing would probably be the way that I'd want to do it anyway. So I just I'd see language does have power, but it's how you how you're applying it. I think that is what we're we're kind of getting at. Well, I think that's what we've agreed at somehow. Is it acceptable or not? Would we swear in church? Don't know. <laughs> that's a, that's the thing. Thinking about it in terms of when we start using language in those different contexts, then there is that temptation or whatever it is, to fall into that in perhaps a situation where we wouldn't normally use that language. I was thinking in terms of the whole swearing thing, do we always swear in a in a negative way, like to, to describe a bad emotion or to describe something wrong? Or is there a good swear? I, yeah, for me, it's, it's a lot of it's wrapped up in humour. Like, I, I think... If I think about some of our relationships, if I, if someone said something that I didn't agree with and was funny, like to tell them to f off is just like a jo- like a jokey response, you know. It's kind of like a throwaway comment almost. So uh, for me, it's kind of wrapped up in a lot of it's wrapped up in humour and and that's the intention behind it. And sometimes it, for emphasis as well, you know, if you're trying to make trying to drive home a point, it, you can you know sticking an odd word in there will certainly grab people's attention, which which is yeah another application of it but for me it's never around uh like negativity or offense it's more humor and 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 yeah i guess um emphasis more than more than anything else i don't know maybe i'm i don't know if that's just me i think we're sort of touching a little bit on that idea of moving from behavior first then leading to belonging and the idea that belonging should come first and then maybe that maybe that leads to behave like changed behavior. And I think that like when it comes to when it comes to living our lives missionally, you know, we've talked about how we can risk exclusion. Well, actually, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face if you know I, I work in Bradford and it helps that I'm from Wakefield because kind of culturally they're quite similar and to the kids in Bradford I'm maybe ever so slightly posher than them but not that much posher and, <laughs> you know they're like oh yeah Wakefield like yeah we've heard of Wakefield um <laughs> and so I think yeah you you've got to be careful actually not to exclude people in that respect if you're elevated if you're living a life that's um creating creating barriers in that sense and if you're trying to elevate your own status by 
suggestion that you don't all, you know, you never swear or anything like that. I think that can be as, as damaging because you're trying to, um, you know, set up this way of righteous living that they might just see as completely unattainable and not culturally relevant to them at all. I'd, I'd hate and I'd absolutely, absolutely break my heart for someone to say, I could never be a Christian because I couldn't, I couldn't stop swearing. Do you know what I mean? That, that for it to be, like you say, for it to be a barrier, I just couldn't do that because it's part of my vocabulary or whatever. For that to then, for in someone's mind to block them from a relationship with Jesus is just like that's heartbreaking beyond belief. Surely, like, yeah. can is it has it become too big a thing? I just yeah, I think a lot of my ideas of evolving. Everything's a little bit more fluid now, but I just think yeah, I, I'd never. I would always try to be respectful, and if if I knew someone would be offended by swearing, I'd I'd rein it in. I think just to be yeah. out of respect more than anything. Um, but if I knew that you know it was it was a safe space, then I think it's I, I'd see it as fine just to to let it go. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you were talking about using it in comedic ways, you, those would be within a, a a setting that you have relationships formed with people. And you you know what they're going to how they're going to respond. You know they're not going to see it as attack on them or be offended. Um, so yeah, it's I do think we have to be careful with how we use language, how with all language, not just swear words. I don't I don't want anyone to listen to this and think that we're just saying yep, it's a it's a free for all. <laughs> all bets are off. Just go up to anyone you want and use whatever words you want. Because no, um, I I don't well I'm, I don't want to speak for the whole group on that, but um, I I don't think that's that's a good approach. But actually, I don't think the words themselves are are the problem. It's it's the intention and it's the um, the understanding and the it does it harm relationship or does it build? There's um an illustration from a sermon that someone did that I can't remember. You might have to pick this up by the way. And basically, he stood up and said. A child dies every three seconds because of poverty and that but you're more worried that I've said that you're that a child dies of poverty every three seconds and it was kind of that putting those things in context of that I have to say as well a guy in my life who is um like an ordained minister very very well educated kind of like told me recently that um he that some of the translations of Paul's writings um, could be interpreted as you as like swear words I can't give you an example of that but he did basically say um I think he was referring to the bit where Paul writes about um is it the I count all that as as um in comparison to what I yeah, found in Christ basically, yeah thank you so much for being able to just know what I'm trying to articulate ironically through the use of language um but yeah <laughs> that and that's it and he just sort of said well actually you know some people would argue that Paul's writings are close to swearing in some points it's just the fact that you know we've got to this kind of like very middle class way of living righteous lives and interpreted that this should mean this and this should mean this but yeah so I thought that was quite interesting actually definitely yeah it shows like a, a level of authenticity and passion with what he's writing if I was to read that as as it's been said I'd see that as someone being passionate about what they're talking about. They, like, they want to emphasise a point there very much so that I really don't care about that because I found this really, really great thing. And that for me is where, that's the power of language, isn't it? Is that we've got, particularly the English language, when we've got 10, 10 words for a single idea that we can pick and choose which one we want to use dependent on the, the situation. I think it's important as well that the church can become almost like a product and that we want to use like, shiny and positive language and you know to be so that jesus is attractive to people you know but it's not i mean jesus is attractive to people Mm. but 
but not because of a product, because of a life a lifestyle and a relationship that for me is more fulfilling than, than anything else. So, yeah. so yeah, I think like from a like a corporate church point of view, there is an element of you know being professional, but also there's an element of being real as well, isn't there? And I think Paul's a yeah. good example of that. Way he's, he's just he's laying it down real, isn't he? He's saying you know this is this is what I think, this is what I found, and it's amazing, and and I want you guys to read it and and see the same thing. Yeah, we can make faith a very sanitized, middle class, safe risk averse thing can't we and um yeah jesus wasn't like that so i think when i sit with i'm thinking of of a, a situation recently uh, i was sat with a student who sadly had a parent that had committed suicide through lockdown and um i've been like journeying that like process of like grief through all of this and if i was to just sit there and say to her um you know life's a bit hard for you at the moment or life's a bit rubbish for you at the moment it doesn't give the full gravitas of what grief and human suffering and all of that stuff really is and so I'm not allowing that full um her to just sit with her brokenness honestly and me to actually sit lovingly with her in that moment and kind of sometimes Mm. to be able to say like this is a bit like it to them that actually gives weight and also for somebody that they know is a christian to say to them in full empathy and in full sort of loving them in this moment to say that as well they'll go oh she really grasps like how profound my suffering is here that this isn't just something that is a little bit rubbish and so whilst I wouldn't want to just say, yeah, you've got a, the green light to use language, whatever, there are times where actually some of that language does give more gravitas to the situation that you're in. 100%, yeah. I think, like I said, it's about it's about being real, isn't it? I think the only way to disagree is I would say you've got the green light to use language, whatever, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's me. Uh, it's funny because I sit here reflecting on this and there's so many bits I agree with and other parts where I think, I, as a church leader, I would be mortified if I stood up on a Sunday and, and saw in front of people. There's still part of me which actually, in certain contexts, yes, I swear, and because I wouldn't, which perhaps makes me then not authentic because I am the one who will openly do it, talking that way in that context, but not in another way. Yeah, I get that. I, there are certain words that I, in a in a private setting, I, I I just wouldn't use. I would just would not feel comfortable at all. And there's a, a good few that would feel very wrong uh, for me. Mm. Um, and I, I that's not an intellectual position I've taken on those words. That's just like a gut reaction, <laughs> probably because of the way I was brought up. Um, and I don't. I'm not sure I'll get past that. I mean, I think I'd have to put practice into it. I'm not sure it's worth it. <laughs> I'll, so I'll help you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a running mate literally waiting to take you to Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we could do some sparring. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I know, I know some of the words that you're referring to, and, and genuinely, I wouldn't class one of them as a swear word. I think it's the one you hate the most as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. Again, it's, it's about perspective. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Me knowing that, I would actively avoid using that with you because I know that, you know, you, you don't find it okay. Like that, And I think that's just about having a respect for who it is that you're in conversation but I wouldn't be offended if you used it it would just feel wrong coming out of my mouth (laughs) that's that's the weird thing okay so 
I think that is just about all we have time for today. Um, we hope you've enjoyed listening. And if you have any thoughts, any feedback, any uh, opinions, please do just get in touch however you want. You can message us directly. You can message the Twitter page. You can uh, message the Facebook page or Instagram. However you want to get in contact, we'd love for you to do that. And if you'd like to get involved in a wider conversation, please do join the listener group and join in there. That'd be great. Okay, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.